This episode is brought to you by Chernobyl on HBO. The limited series was hailed by critics as powerful and haunting, truly excellent television, and as chilling as it is essential. 19 Emmy nominations, including outstanding limited series. Visit hbo.com FYC for more on Chernobyl. Hello and welcome to The Awardist, uh, the podcast for Emmy voters and TV fans. I am Henry Goldblatt and I am thrilled to be here with two of my friends and people I'm fans of. I'm Lynette Rice. Hello. How's it going, Tan Henry? I am doing well. <laughs> He's very tan. Apparently I'm very tan. <laughs> well, yes. I, I can't see it, but I can hear your tan through, the, through my head. <laughs> you can, yeah. yeah. In a good and way. That voice, and that voice you hear is Kristen Baldwin, TV critic for Entertainment Weekly. Hello, Kristen. Hello. How are you besides tan? I'm, I'm okay. I'm in mattress shorts and rocking a tan, I guess. Yeah, Totes. it's August, yo. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Record heat in LA, by the way. Another butt hot day. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's God. what we call it here in LA when it gets super hot, butt and hot. That's the, oh, and Lord. Now, that, now you've heard from meteorologist Lynette Rice. <laughs> <laughs> Weather today, butt, butt hot. hot. Right. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Um, we have got a butt awesome show for you today. We are um, do have a bit of a hodgepodge of everything. We're going to be talking about reality shows, um, and I can guarantee there'll be a rant by Kristen Baldwin later on yes. um, while we're talking about reality shows. We're going to be talking about um, talk shows, late night talk shows, um, and some guest actor categories as well. And then later on in the podcast, we've got Lynette's conversation with Mark Sandrowski, who is the director of the finale of The Big Bang Theory and the only nominee for The Big Bang Theory's last season, Lynette. And I know you were sad about that. I was extremely sad about it, so that's why I'm hoping for a win for him. I um, don't know. what's. I think he's competing. Who's he competing against? We'll have to look it up. Well, he is competing against um, two episodes of Barry, Ooh. one episode of Fleabag, oh. and two episodes of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. What do you think, Kristen? Ooh, I mean... I think episode one of Fleabag is going to be hard to beat, yeah. uh, as is that Ronnie so Ronnie Lilly episode of uh, Barry, which was incredible. Uh, I think it's, I think maybe the nomination is his victory. Oh, just get... <laughs> Sorry. Listen to her like evil laugh. <laughs> Curse you and your little puppies. Your little dog too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about this later. We will talk about this later. And anyway, I know that you're very excited to talk to uh, uh, Mr. Sandrowski about all, lots of things that he's directed. So Yes, lots of good stuff. All of Kristen's favorite shows. All <laughs> exactly. Of um, so let's dive in. The first thing we're going to be talking about today is um, Best Emmy Nominees for Competition Program. And this is a category that started in just 2003. And in doing some research here, um, this category is kind of insane. Um, Amazing Race <laughs> won it 10 times, ten. including 10, including seven times in a row when the category first started. It's like Emmy voters couldn't deign to vote for yeah. anything besides Amazing They're Race, like, which oh, granted is the it's a classy one. It's yeah, really they're, bad. exactly. They're like, oh, I've heard of this, and it is. It's the classy one because you know, it, it's just it's a beautifully shot travelogue. Exactly. And back in the heyday, it was a very, very good show, and I don't begrudge yeah. it. Like, I mean, ten times a little much, but I would have given it four or five. Sure. Yeah. It's definitely it was a great show, and you know, it still is. It's just sort of kind of lost its uh, you know novelty. What was some of its early competition? I mean, I don't think it's... I think what things that always bugged Mark Idol. Burnett is that... Idol. Was Idol, Idol. Survivor. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think Survivor even got nominations early on, which really pissed off Mark Burnett. Um, Survivor um, may have got a nomination or two. I know Jeff Probst did. Um, but it was interesting. So Amazing Race won seven years in a row. The only other streak I could find that even approached... That Top that was The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, which won its category 10 times in a row. It's crazy. And, you know, yeah, Amazing Race, definitely uh, an Emmy-worthy show, but, like, ten times is getting to the point where it's like the the Academy voters just aren't, they don't even want to bother to watch one episode of Project yeah. Runway. Like, just exactly. come on. Yeah, it, it spoke to how broken the system was. So, yeah. in fact, only two shows have won this category at all. Um, the Voice, oh, excuse me, three shows. The Voice, which has won four times. Amazing Race, which has won a hundred times. And then last year's winner, RuPaul's Drag Race. And in fact, Lynette, take us through last year's nominees. Last year's nominees, The Amazing Race, American Ninja Warrior. What a victory for that show to get a nomination. Uh, Project Runway, Top Chef, 
The Voice, and the big winner were, of course, RuPaul's Drag Race. So, Kristen, I cede the floor to you and <laughs> tell me your beef with this category. Well, I have a beef with this category, and we will uh, I will have another beef uh, when we get to the host category. But literally, Henry and Lynette, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette have been on for years. One is in its 14th season. One has uh, just finished its 23rd. They have never once been nominated for an Emmy in any category. And it's so ridiculous. I think you pointed out uh, in your research that no dating show has ever been nominated. But that is what correct. what dating show is there other than The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are you know it's the most successful TV dating franchise. It's often imitated. None of the imitators ever succeed. It is a legitimate pop culture hit in terms of the ratings are strong uh, and it is like always the most tweeted about show when it's on and it is no longer a guilty pleasure. Like now there people are out and proud members of Bachelor Nation, whether it's Ryan Reynolds or Jennifer Aniston or Kate Hudson. Like it is a cultural event that happens, you know, twice a year, Bachelor and Bachelorette and then Bachelor in Paradise, which is its own <laughs> animal. I'm not going to get on a high horse saying that needs an Emmy. But the point is that it ha- it ticks all the boxes of what an Emmy worthy show should be. It's also beautifully shot and incredibly produced. It's a labor like it's a huge labor. Uh, to put this show together. Not one nomination. It's just because people are freaking snobs. She's never talked this long on our show. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Sorry, the episode's over. (laughs) We have to wrap it up. (laughs) Uh, Kristen, I happen to agree with you, and especially looking at the 2019 nominees. This year we've got... Amazing Race, again, American Ninja Warrior, which... Like, fine. It's it's good. People like it. More than The Bachelorette, I'm not sure. No. Nailed it on Netflix, which was a huge cultural phenomenon. RuPaul's Drag Race, Top Chef, and The Voice. I think they're, they're obviously judging the shows by the content rather than appreciating the execution and the fact that they've executed it so flawlessly for so long. And I, frankly, I'm sorry, we can say the same thing about Big Brother. It's still yeah. a well-executed show. It may, it's an entertaining show, and that's because it's executed well. Same with Survivor. So, like, it's just oh, weird. Survivor absolutely should be nominated. Correct. And so d- don't get hung up about the skeevy nature of some of those rat-ass bachelors. I mean, let's <laughs> well, look at the show for what it, you know, it, it achieves. Yeah, they travel around the world just like The Amazing Race, you know. And, like, it's right. well done, and it's everything from the casting to the crafting of the narrative is just far more interesting than, say, the voice at this point. Well, American Ninja Warrior, there's no story there. It's just like, can you jump up and grab those rings? You know, that's it. (laughs) It's literally, there there Uh, is no story there. I mean, honestly, I don't begrudge uh, American Ninja Warrior. I'm just really like, why is the voice still nominated? Like, even Top Chef, I feel like kind of past its prime. I mean, I'm so glad they've at least allowed RuPaul's Drag Race into the mix because that is at least, you know, something new. But it's really like at this point, let Amazing Race, you know, retire and give it to the freaking Bachelor. So I watched both the season of Top Chef and The Amazing Race because I'm a garbage person when it comes to reality TV. <laughs> and um, this season of Top Chef, Top Chef like is a quiet show that still does extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary work. And I thought the season was great. This past season of Amazing Race wasn't as awesome. This was the one that they pit like all the CBS uh, reality yeah. all-stars against each yeah. other. So were there folks from Survivor, folks from Big Brother, and mm-hmm. folks from The Amazing Race? Yeah. And eh, eh yeah. I didn't need it. Yeah. Well, so then who who do you think should take it home this week? So this, my this will win and should win is RuPaul's Drag Race, which continues to surprise and continues to reinvent itself in its 10th or 11th season. And what what's so interesting, and I remember when the show started, of course, and it was a tiny, tiny little show on Logo, and it's become a huge cultural phenomenon. And like millennials are embracing this show like crazy. And I did something I haven't done since the late 90s. Each week RuPaul's Drag Race was on, I would go out to bars and watch like with everybody. Up and down West Hollywood, every single bar was filled with like a few hundred, a few hundred people in there watching, watching like, which Nielsen ratings, of course, don't capture at all. Right. And so uh, yeah. I think the viewership's a lot bigger. And so I think the phenomenon's um, outsized from sort of what you see on the ratings or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, it's doing something new and interesting, which is why, like, which is what Survivor did when it started, which is what Amazing Race did, you know. So it's good that 
it's being recognized, but it's time for there, there to be even more new blood in this category. How old is the show now? Um, the show is either t- season 10 or 11. That's crazy I yeah. know. that it's taken this long. Well, it's uh, like The Bachelor, which didn't pick up until I'd say the past six or seven seasons, too. Yeah. 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 So, Kristen, who is your will and should win in this category? Same with you, RuPaul. For all the reasons you said, I think it's... If, if we're going to look at this sort of dusty crop of nominees, <laughs> uh, it is definitely the most deserving. Lynette? I'm going to have to agree with you, too. I just don't feel as passionate about any of these other shows on who should win. Um, it, it, it should be RuPaul's Drag Race. It's the most interesting of the lot. No one else is watching these other shows in bars. I'm just wondering, do you think Nailed It could take it? I do like Nailed It, and I would watch I watch it with my son, and we love it. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not... Like it's in it's not a very technically sort of impressive show, you know, in terms of like the actual production value. It's just, you know, a test kitchen and a desk and three people like I just don't think it rises to the bar of something like RuPaul's Drag Race in terms of like an actual production feat. All right. So unanimous. We're going to go with RuPaul will win and should win. Yeah. Nice. Um, Next up is the variety talk category. And this is a weird category. It's a fairly new one because until 2015, you had both sketch shows and late night shows competing against each other. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you'd have Saturday Night Live competing against Daily Show or what have you or or Jimmy Kimmel Live. And so they've separated that out. The sketch category is not as interesting this year because um, Saturday Night Live is most likely going to win it. There's not a lot of competition. So I want to dive into this variety talk series. And Kristen, why don't you take us through some of the nominees for last year? So in 2018, we had The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Late Late Show with James Corden, Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and the winner was Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. So Kristen, take us through the 2019 nominees. (laughs) Literally everything I just said. They are exactly the same. Daily Show, Full Frontal, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Last Week Tonight, Late Late Show, and Late Show. Lena, I want to turn the floor to you because NBC used to dominate this category back in the day and neither of its late night shows were nominated. Talk to us about that. I think you just said you just said it. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight show in late night. I mean it 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 I I feel bad for Seth Myers because yeah. you know what he does on an almost daily basis does go viral. He does some great stuff. Uh what's more uh embarrassing I think for NBC is Jimmy Fallon not getting the nomination and it just kind of speaks to perhaps how tone deaf his show is compared to the other shows. He, you know um Colbert and and John Oliver and Sam B and Trevor Noah. I mean, they're all you know, they're drafting off of Trump and anything he does, and it's and it works so freaking well. Um, Jimmy doesn't want to be that dude, but what he's doing is just not resonating, and so as a result, he's just not getting that attention, which is too bad. I mean, Seth Seth is playing in that in 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 that corral, and so I'm a little shocked that his show. Uh, did not get a nomination. It's kind of a bummer. Well, they do love themselves some James Corden, who definitely is not very political in his in his work either. But the the stuff that he does to sort of balance out, you know, like he's not just playing like beer pong or whatever with celebrities. Like he, you know, the crosswalk musicals or the, you know, toddlerography or all those other, you know, carpool karaoke, all those other things he does seem to be more interesting to voters than whatever it is that Jimmy Fallon's doing. Well, that's uh, to me, that's the perfect place to tee off then on who should and would win. I, I feel like I want to argue that Corden should win because what he's pulling off is unique in terms of the sketches that he's doing. Um, but at the same time, it's hard for me to completely give that to Corden because I love what Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. has accomplished. He is, I mean, he's so great. He's the voice of an upset nation. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm going to, for me, if you don't mind me taking over, I'm going to say should win. James Corden will win Stephen Colbert. Uh, Kristen, how about you? I mean, I do think that uh, the will win is going to be last week tonight because, you know, he keeps winning and uh, I think he is deserve, you know, he deserves it because he does like anyone who can do deep dive, you know, really funny segments on incredibly sort of uh, complicated and complex, you know, foreign policy issues like he does. Uh, you know, it's definitely... Uh, it's a worthwhile show, but I do think that uh, Stephen Colbert deserves the win, and he's my should win. 
It's so funny. So John Oliver is literally the only one to have won the award since John Stewart went yeah. off the air. And I would like to give a shout out to our former colleague, Tim Carvel, yes. who was an executive producer Woo! on both those shows and like um, has a large part to do with that. So I'm happy for Tim and proud of him. I think the streak is going to be broken this year. I, I, I'm I, with you, Lynette, that I think um, Colbert is going to pull it out this year. I think the momentum is behind him. And I think he has a little more virality um, than John Oliver has if you're looking at the past 12 months. Um, I know this is a weird sentence to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. My heart is always with Jimmy Kimmel, and I don't, I can't tell you, he's not like a soft, cuddly teddy bear, and it's like, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but when I turn to a late night show, he's the one I turn to, and I like, I like the way, I like his interviews, I like his monologues, like, he's just my sense of he's humor. He's grown up, he's like, he's matured in front of us on yes. that show, and he's changed so much, but he made, he became one of us, one when he was, um, uh, well, first when he talked about the surgery on his, his child, on his, yeah. child yeah. and then, and then he, remember, he talked about what happened to that lion overseas, and then he was talking about healthcare, it was, he, he yeah, totally was relevant there. He's definitely yes. done a good job sort of balancing, you know, political commentary, which he's very, you know, upfront about, like these are my views and uh, and you know just really silly and funny uh, sketches and things like that um, you know he continues to troll Matt Damon uh, you know mercilessly and it's always funny. and brilliantly yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's he's my he's my sentimental pick but I I think the streak's gonna be broken I think Colbert's gonna win this That's year interesting Woo-hoo. all right we're moving on to something called a structured reality program any idea what a structured reality program is I mean, I think it always follows the same format as opposed to just sort of like a a documentary type series. Yes. Is that their way of saying that there's not a game involved? Well, no, that's not true. Because well, there's, there's unstructured. Some games. There's unstructured too. Yeah, it's. I think it's more. It's the procedural of reality programs. Yeah. So it's like the Law and Order SVU of reality programs. Correct. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. So they were all used to compete when the category was created in 2001, and then in 2014 it was split into structured and unstructured. Take us through the 2018 nominees, Lynette. Antique Roadshow, Fixer Upper, Lip Sync Battle, Shark Tank, Who Do You Think You Are, and the winner was Queer Eye on Netflix. And Kristen, who are this year's nominees? Uh, Once again, Antiques Roadshow, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, Queer Eye on Netflix, Shark Tank, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, and Who Do, wow. you, and who do you Think You Are? Um, I was surprised that not a single HGTV show snuck in here. Yeah, it, it is kind of shocking, like, given that those shows are wildly popular. Like House Hunters and Chip and Joanna Gaines and, like, like um, and um, Love It or List It, like... Everyone I know watches that type of stuff, and I was surprised that the Emmys didn't recognize any of it. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Um, That's my comfort TV. Like, when there's just TV in the background, it's usually love it or list it. But why did um, did Marie Kondo get something? Because I wasn't – I mean, I I love what she teaches, but after the first episode, it's like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm done. I just folded up my drawers. I don't need another episode. (laughs) I don't know. I guess it was a pretty big, you know, when it it was a pretty big, uh, you know, sort of phenomenon when it started in terms of I do think it faded kind of quickly. But people were everybody was talking about like, oh, I'm going to Marie Kondo my room. There's even a joke in this season of uh, uh, in of Orange is the New Black. Uh, you know, somebody says you need to Marie Kondo your wife. Like, does she bring you joy? Uh, so <laughs> so there's it definitely was in the zeitgeist. Um I'm just upset, and this is, I need a time to rant here, um, with uh, two snubs. One is Live PD, which is oh, on your favorite. my favorite. Yes. And it's, Why do you like that so much? You know why I love it? It's, for people who don't know, it's on A&E, Fridays and Saturdays. It's essentially cops. Uh, you follow cops from you know, eight or ten different departments around the country, and you just follow them as they do their job live. And um, it's very comforting. You get to know these cops. Like, they're, my favorite is Lieutenant Kennedy. He's from Texas. And you you watch them. A lot of times they're just pulling people over for broken taillights, and then they find meth in their car. But it's very, like soothing to watch these people just out there, you know, protecting the streets and interacting with the community. They're always these cops that they show are like, these are the good cops. You know, uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, problems, you know, with police brutality and things like this. But this is an example of like men and women who are like doing the job 
uh, the right way. And it's just, I love watching it. And so, and it's a feat, you know, cause it's live feeds from like 15 different cities. It's ridiculous. Uh, and then of course the other one that I think should have gone in, although I guess maybe, the, I don't know if this would have gone in competition or structured temptation Island this season was really freaking I think good. it probably would have gone in, um, competition. What it, like, I, you don't really win anything though. <laughs> you don't win your dignity. You, that's for, for sure. sure. You lose it. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, it was really good. It should have been nominated. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, Kristen, you've got the floor then. Who is going to win in this category and who should win, given the nominees? It should and will is uh, Queer Eye again. I do, you know, obviously uh, it's been almost overexposed in the last year and a half, but I do think it still does. I mean, it's still really well done and really emotional and like heartwarming and things like that. And I, I don't I don't think its momentum is gone yet. Why not? Uh, I actually will say Queer Eye for both. I'm not entirely ready to say who do you think you are should win, but I feel like it's close because that show is like surprisingly good and you didn't think it was going to be that good and it actually is. And they've gotten some great stars. Unfortunately, I think it's too old now and then people have are just overlooking it that's yeah. the same with diners drive-ins which also is a great show yeah um uh that's i i love watching that show uh but they're old and it's it, this is the simple category to vote for queer eye is still in the zeitgeist so right. check that's gonna win yeah queer eye should win in my book and do you is there any chance marie kondo takes it i think that's like she's the only one who has a chance to upset yeah that's that's my only hesitation. I do want to give a, a, sh a shout out to Shark Tank and specifically yes. Robert Herjavec, who is the nicest man in the world and nicest. took a picture my, with my mother when she asked him. So. <laughs> oh my God, I love Thank it. you. And that Robert show is Herjavec. great. It is still great. Like 10 it years in. It is so great. It is so oh yes. my God. I love to watch it. I do too. It, that, again, it's such all these shows are such comfort TV and I put Shark Tank in there for sure. Kristen, I'm going to turn the floor over to you again. We're just going to call this episode Kristen Rants. And <laughs> we're going to go to host for a reality or competition program and just say your piece. Literally, what does, no. What is, no. What does no. Chris Harrison have to do? How many times can you say, like, it's not just that. how did that feel? It's how did not that, we have just, a very uh -uh, special. No. He, he, he utters the same friggin' lines all the time. At least, Lynette, I mean, of course, I know. Okay, you I'm do stopping. not know what you're talking about. <laughs> First of all, yes, he does always say, ladies, Colton. It's the final rose tonight. He does, <laughs> I mean, he does always say, let the journey begin. But he is also, like, he is always there uh, to voice Bachelor Nation's thoughts and concerns. Like when Ari went AWOL and decided that he wanted to go back to the woman he dumped or, and, you know, break up with Becca. Who was there talking him through that decision? Chris Harrison. And then, you know, when uh, oh, Hannah was, you know, having a hard time because Luke P was a lunatic, who was there helping her sort out her feelings? Chris Harrison. When he is not on the show, I, I point this out every time that I make this rant. There was one episode once during Jillian's season of The Bachelorette where he was not <laughs> at the rose ceremony and it was very upsetting. <laughs> so he he it, like people think what he does he makes it look so easy that they think what he does is easy and unnecessary no if he's not there the show does not work Christian I want to semi agree with you or like 70% <laughs> agree with you um, there was there was a bottle episode of The Bachelor this Bachelorette this past season for anyone who doesn't know a bottle episode is basically like a tangential episode or um within a series mm -hmm. where all it was was Chris Harrison interviewing Hannah B. Yes. I hated the ep I hated the episode. It really bummed me out that they did that. But Chris's interview was terrific. Yeah. He like he and he especially on the live, you know, after the final rose or the live finale, he really yeah. does um he's much funnier than, you know, just the guy who says final rose tonight. Okay, Lynette, now it's your turn for your rant. I don't have a rant in this one. <laughs> oh, I thought you were. I thought you. I thought you were gonna um, say stand Julie Chen. For, yes, stand oh, for Julie Chen Mendez. Although first. Julie, um, I would. That would be a huge um, accomplishment for her too, because she uh, as well has totally changed over the course of the show, and she's gotten very good at you know those those post eviction interviews and. And like probably her best performance to date was just a couple weeks ago when she, um, well, <laughs> I, I should be careful with that because then she ended it on a, a terrible football. But she um, was 
questioning a house guest about his um, behavior in the house and the language he used in the house. And I mean, and she, you could tell that she was business the minute she sat down. Yeah. Um, uh, well, she had a person, a personal stake in it too, because he had made some anti-Asian comments correct. that were really offensive. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And she, I mean, in that interview, uh, I mean, it basically helped the network because the network had been under siege for a couple of weeks about not highlighting this behavior on the show. And so that was kind of their way to clean it up. And it was pretty brilliant until she herself used a, a kind of a slur, at, you know, at the end by, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do I repeat it? <laughs> no, no. no. no it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So the people who actually have been nominated for this category, um, Jeff Probst has won four times. Um, RuPaul has won three. Tom Bergeron and Heidi Klum have the most nominations apiece with nine, and Ryan Seacrest has seven. So given that, um, Kristen, who were last year's nominees? W. Kamau Bell for United Shades of America, Ellen DeGeneres for Ellen's Game of Games, Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn for Project Runway, Jane Lynch for Hollywood Game Night, and the winner was RuPaul for RuPaul's Drag Race. And this year we've got James Corden for the world's best. Which like, I what is that seven even? People, like, what? Seven people watch. Did you? I saw that. Did you see that? It was no. And like really Chris weird. Harrison Stupid. doesn't get a nomination, but James Corden gets one for the show that like nobody saw. Like, what? And I agree. Um, then we've got Ellen DeGeneres for Ellen's Game of Games, Marie Kondo for tidying up with Marie Kondo, Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman for making it, and RuPaul for RuPaul's Drag Race. Lynette, you're smirking. What are you thinking? How cute would it be if, like, it was a tie between Marie and RuPaul and the both of them coming up to the podium? That could be so much fun. Of course, it won't happen. Um, um, (laughs) (laughs) I think um, who will win? Oh, this is hard. Um, I think it's going to be RuPaul um, who will win, who should win. I, I definitely think RuPaul should win over Marie Kondo, even though she's, you know a fresh player to the scene. You're right. It also fizzled out pretty quickly. Kristen, how about you? I kind of agree. I mean, I did really like making it, but I don't think Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman had much to do as hosts. And I don't think they're, it's sort of the same job as somebody like RuPaul uh, is doing. So I definitely think RuPaul should and will. I third that. I It'd be cute to see Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman on stage together winning, but it's going to be RuPaul yeah. and should be. And it should be. All right, moving on, we're going to do some of the guest categories. And these are always a lot of fun yeah. because you have some very, very big names in them. And um, this year is no exception. Um, let's start with guest actress in a drama series. Um, Kristen, who are the nominees this year? This year, uh, it's Laverne Cox for Orange is the New Black. Uh, she's a guest because she wasn't on, you know, I think she was on like two or three episodes. Uh, Cherry Jones for Handmaid's Tale. Uh, Jessica Lang for American Horror Story Apocalypse. Felicia Rashad for This Is Us. Cicely Tyson for How to Get Away with Murder. And Carice Van Houten for Game of Thrones. So I have a very strong opinion. Um, Samira Wiley, by the way, won this last year for Handmaid's Tale um, and was just terrific in that show. I feel like when you nominate a queen like Cicely Tyson, you just give her the award and that's done. Um, That show, I know I'm the only one left watching it. Um, (laughs) Yes. The last season actually was... It's been on five seasons. The, so the fifth season was the second best season to the first season. Actually, mm. um, it has lost its way for a while, but it reclaimed its way last year. And Cicely Tyson was um, is amazing. And when you nominate um, a legend like that, you give her the award and you say thank you for all your work. I'm not going to go that way. Mm, um, I'm going to say rude. I'm not, uh, rude. <laughs> rude. <laughs> um, I don't even remember Felicia Rosado on This Is Us, by the way. And I rem- and I watched that season. She's um, she played um, Susan Kelechi Watson's mother. Oh, that's right. Right? Okay. You hated um, it because the show is bad. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. Here we go. Um, <laughs> who, will, who will win? I'm going to say Cherry Jones for The Handmaid's Tale. She is great. Uh, because she's Cherry Jones. And then who should win? I'm going to say uh, Carice Van Houten from Game of Thrones. Hmm. Melisandre. I mean, she's superb. Superb. She was good, but she was in like three scenes. Well, that's why she's in the guest mm-hmm. actress yeah. category. All right. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> fair. <laughs> Um, Cicely Tyson, by the way, has won before, and so I'm hoping she'll win again. Okay. Um, next, moving on to guest actor in a drama series. Where are the nominees this year, Lynette? Michael Angarano from This Is Us. He played Nick Pearson. Uh, Ron Cephas Jones from This Is Us. Uh, Michael McKean from Better Call Saul. He was Chuck. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani. Nanjiani. God, I always mess Kumail with his Nanjiani. name. Kumail Nanjiani. 
God, that's the worst. Uh, Twilight Zone, he played Samir. Uh, Glenn Turman from How to Get Away with Murder, he was Nate Leahy Sr. And Bradley Whitford from The Handmaid's Tale, he played Joseph Lawrence. Kristen, who are your choices in this category? I Ron Cephas Jones won in 2018. I don't think he'll win again this year just because he didn't, you know, obviously his storyline wasn't as big. I'm going to say that who will win is Bradley Whitford and who should win is Michael McKean from Better Call Saul. He is so good uh, on that show. Incredible. Uh, and he had this incredible really heartbreaking uh spoiler alert by the way death scene uh that i think uh he really should be recognized for henry i'm agreeing with her those are my exact same picks i'm going with will and should win with bradley whitford um that role was uh hailed and he's a terrific actor and i think he's gonna pull it out yeah all right next up is guest actress in a comedy series lynette who are the nominees jane lynch she was on mazel as sophie Sandra O oh was on SNL. Uh, we have to try to remember what some her skits were. Um, Maya Rudolph on The Good Place. She was Judge Jen. Kristen Scott Thomas on Fleabag. She plays Belinda Frears. Uh, Fiona Shaw on Fleabag. She played The Counselor. And Emma Thompson on SNL. Man, this is a great category. Yeah, this is a hard one. Mm-hmm. Henry, you go first. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it's hard, right? All right, I know. So, should win for me is Maya Rudolph on The Good Place. Yes. Like even just saying her name, and yes. um, she was she was so 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 terrific. I'm not sure she's going to pull it out. Um, oh, you know what? I'm putting it out in the universe. She should win, and she will win. I think that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think she should. And all these people are great. I mean, Fiona Shaw had like one scene uh, in Fleabag, but she was freaking hilarious. Um, but yeah, I and I love Jane Lynch on Mrs. Maisel, but I do think that uh, you got to give it to Maya Rudolph. So should will about, let's do okay, it? Let's but, just do okay, it, Emma. Let's put it in the air. Emma Thompson had that great opening monologue, she right? Did. Yeah, I mean she was pretty superb. I'm going to say sh I, I agree with you on the should, but I'm going to go with M Emma Thompson on the on the sh the will. So Kristen knows this. I'm having a very difficult time with Emma Thompson lately because I've been watching years and years on uh. HBO and she plays this like populist type political figure and she's of course she's Emma Thompson so she's amazing in the role but a little too amazing and I'm having a very hard time I don't think I can watch the rest of the show yeah. you need to go back and watch Saving Mr. Banks that's it's on Netflix I just watched it the other day and she's so I mean she's horrible in it and she's like horrible character but she's so good she's so good in everything I just you know years and years is very <laughs> stressful and I I don't think I can finish it because it's like I'm already at like peak anxiety and rage most of the time about the real world so I don't need uh, an additional uh, I don't need a fictionalized uh, garbage fire to watch. But by the way previewing of Emmy's 2020 she's there's no doubt in the world she's going to get nominated for something. Oh for sure yeah. Yeah she's extraordinary. Anyway so guest actress in a comedy series we're like putting it out there for Maya Rudolph and hoping for the best. Yes. Um, last category, Kristen, we have guest actor in a comedy series. Who are the nominees this year? We've got Matt Damon for SNL, Robert De Niro for SNL, Luke Kirby as Lenny Bruce on Mrs. Maisel, Peter McNichol on Veep. He is really funny in that. John Mulaney for SNL, Adam Sandler for SNL, and Rufus Sewell as Declan Howell on Mrs. Maisel. Another good category. Wow. Yeah. And Kristen, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to hijack this conversation yes, for a second it. because your voice cracked when you said Peter McNichol on Veep and, <laughs> there, and just the, he has, so... he should win. He will win. He needs to win all the <laughs> Emmys in the world. He plays this abusive, abusive political operative um, um, who's advising Jonah and the insults that come out of his mouth. It's the best the thing in the world. The vitriol is so vicious and just like, you can't even believe it, and he's and it's said in this like intense scream that is, you know, you worry that he's going to have a heart attack the way he performs it, but it's so incredibly funny, and you he really does such a great job uh, making you believe it, that 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 he's like this really abhorrent 
uh, man. And yeah, he's so funny. Uh, uh, what are you guys saying? Are you saying he will win too? Yes, I want the Emmy truck to back up to his house <laughs> and drop off 74 <laughs> Emmys. Yeah, you guys are so wrong. You're so wrong. So I think he's, will, he's my will and should. But Kristen, what is yours? I mean, I think he's my should. I almost feel like the will is going to be freaking Robert De Niro. Um, is he no. even nominated for, is he, is it for playing, um, who is he play, yeah. uh, playing? Mueller. 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 No. Okay. Yeah, I actually think, uh, no, I'm stopping you. Yeah, okay. go, but go ahead. Finish <laughs> your sentence, would, whatever. I would prefer <laughs> that he doesn't win because I don't think it was a particularly good performance, but I just feel like they love a movie star. I actually think that Matt Damon will win because remember he played Kavanaugh. <laughs> was so oh, he was great. He was <laughs> so freaking good, and that went totally viral, more so than De Niro. And I think Hollywood, loving that, will vote for Damon to win. So I definitely think Peter McNichol should win, but I think this one's going to Matt oh Damon. Oh my god, that's right. When he was like screaming oh, about loving beer. Case, yes. Yeah. So I love beer. <laughs> I want to go back and watch it know, after this. I know, I know. I'm going to have to go watch it. Everyone needs to Google that on, on YouTube. Yeah, and I think there's somebody who's put together just a clip of uh, a YouTube clips of all his insults. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, like, like go watch Peter McNichol, like a highlight Love reel of beer. all of his insults. And, squ- and, and, and he said, the f- what were the names of the friends, too? Squeegee or Squibby or remember my two friends? Uh, we're talking about two different things. You're talking about Matt Damon. I'm talking about Matt Damon. What are you guys talking, talking about? about Peter McNichol yeah. still. Like, watch, come on, get with the program. Watch it. <laughs> Watch them both on YouTube. Watch them both on YouTube. All right. Well, up next, we have got Lynette's conversation with Mark Sandrowski, who was the sole nominee for the finale of The Big Bang Theory. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to The Awardist, and now I'm going to talk to Mark Sandrowski. He was nominated for the final episode of The Big Bang Theory. Mark, thank you so much for talking to me about that very emotional last episode and that very emotional show to say goodbye to. Um, it was very sad. Sad in a good way. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. It was, it was sad, but it was time and... and uh Bittersweet is what I like to call it. Yes, yes. I really appreciated the story um, or the pictures of you that they took when they stood up and they all surrounded you and gave you a standing ovation. Uh, uh, do they do they always do that? Was that the first time ever that they showed such appreciation to you? That was very special. That was um, uh, that was really the first time everyone had done that. That was we. There's a little game that we had always throughout the years. It, it had grown up where when I would get introduced at the table reads, after introducing the, the guest cast and maybe who wrote the episode, they would introduce me and, and everyone would boo. <laughs> it just became a thing. And it's, it's followed me around on other shows. And and uh, this last episode, the I think Kaylee Cuoco was the, was the main culprit behind it said, oh, we got to do something a little different. I was expecting a lot more boos, and they turned it around and gave the ovation. And I was really, um, boy, I was at a loss for words, I can tell you that. Oh, Wait, this has followed you around? What show did it start on? Boy, that's a great question. A lot of people have asked that. I think originally it started on the show Yes, Dear. It was a thing I did for CBS, Michael Malley and Anthony Clark. And Greg Garcia, who is uh, one of the executive producers, used to do it. Because I would do about half the shows. I would I would go in for three, go away for three, come in for three. And he was always like, ah, we know who Sandrowski is. Boo. And he started it. And then it just it picked up. Other writers picked up on it. Other crew picked up on it. And uh, that's where that's where it's all started. So your specialty has, has pretty much always been multi-camera sitcoms? Yes. I've been I've been involved in uh, uh, multicams for my almost my entire career. I started out as a stage manager and worked my way up as an associate director, AD, and started directing full time. I think in the early to mid nineties. And uh, I love I, I love it. I think it's the greatest uh, medium to work in. I, it's you know immediately if things are working or not working. There's nothing better than completing a show in front of a live audience and right. i like doing single cam i'm in the middle i'm in fact i'm doing some young sheldon's right now 
and I love it. And it's, it's got its own set of, of fun things that, uh, that you don't get in multicam. But the, the thrill of completing a show in front of a live audience is, is something that can't be beat. You have to tell the folks at home some of the shows that you worked on, besides, of course, Big Bang and Yes, Dear. Oh, man. Um, let's see. As far as directing, I remember I started directing originally with uh, Malcolm and Eddie, Malcolm Jamal Warner and Eddie Griffin's show. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, that really dates you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually, I, I, I had the joy of working as a stage manager on Full House. The, wow. The original Full House for, for a year. Yeah. I had, uh, then I went to uh, Family Ties. I got to work with Michael Fox. And, oh, wow. Uh, that that was a thrill, and then worked on lots of different shows. And then once directing, it was Yes, Dear. I did um, According to Jim. Um, I've done, boy, I'd have to look, check my IMDb because it's been full here. It's been a lot. Um, last year, between Young Sheldon, I did The Neighborhood. I've done, I did some several shows for Disney. I knew friends working over there. I did uh, one of the great, I did a Hannah Montana and it was the very first episode the Jonas Brothers were ever on television. So <laughs> I get to have that notch in my belt. <laughs> so. Now, is the great thing about being a, uh, a sitcom director is you don't necessarily have to be exclusive to any one show? You can move around? Correct. Yeah, that's actually the beauty. So it, it, at one time early on, used to a lot of directors uh, like Tim Burroughs, you know, did all of Cheers, all of Frasier. He would be exclusive. Um the beauty of the multicam format is you can work every week. So even while I was doing Big Bang on hiatus weeks, I would go do other shows. Wow. And it was just a matter of prepping and editing, balancing those on either side. But it's it's certainly doable. And I really like it because working different shows keeps you sharper, makes you use different muscles. You don't fall into the same habits like, oh, here we are. Let's just set them, sit them at the table. Same coverage, do it, do it. Let's, you know, you go to a new show, you have different writers to deal with, different executives on how to give notes, um, different actors and different problems that, that uh, show themselves in, in different ways. And it's a great challenge, and it, I just think it keeps you better and sharper as a director. Has much changed? I mean, let's go back even from when you were on Malcolm and Eddie. Has much changed about um, the, the medium, the, the, how a, a sitcom is made? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think the general census is still we're trying to do a half hour and make people laugh. Yeah. Um, what what has changed though? Back back in the day when I was really starting, you had you didn't have as many episodes and outlets. You had your networks, and that was the only place to really see something. Then you had the CW and uh, UPN came in, and then there was more content out. It gave more opportunities for people. But you didn't have the cable outlets. You didn't have uh, Hallmark doing original programming or Netflix or anything like that. So there was a standard on the way sitcoms were done. And it was usually multi-camera. And I think the single-camera thing is what is when there was a little shift in things. Uh, and I think it really started with Malcolm in the Middle. Um, you had a very funny show. It was done single camera and it gave it a different rhythm. Uh, multi cameras, you know, you can, it's, it's jokes. It's, there's laughs. People are waiting on the laughs. And here in a single camera, it's, you, you're driving through it and it's, it's one thing, one line after another. And you viewed it differently because you were, you were, Watching from the outside, the, you know, multicams, you're inside the living room with them. And in a single camera, it's four walls. You're on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. And that that's what changed things. And then the network started picking up, oh, we want more single cameras. And we want more hybrid type shows. They thought that was uh, a different look and something that was fresher. And and that's what continues on. And still to this day, I think multi-cameras get a bad rap of being thought of as old-fashioned. Right. Even though they can be much more difficult to do because if it's not funny, you know immediately. That audience is sitting there going, uh-uh, this is not working. Uh, are there misconceptions about what you do? Do people truly understand what a director does on a sitcom? Boy, I think, I don't think so. I don't. I think they understand. Okay, I'm going to set up some camera shots, and I'm going to call action and cut, and and move things around. But I don't think they understand the 
work that goes into finding comedy. Because there, there's a lot of directors, but doing comedy is different than doing drama. And not everyone has, has the funny bone in them, I think. You yeah. have to be able to take something that's funny on the table or at a table read and make sure it's funny when it's on its feet. And I was, I've been fortunate enough, like I say, I've always been involved in sitcoms. I've seen a lot of directors work when I was an AD and stage manager, and I saw good directors and bad directors. And you can often learn a lot more from a bad director on what not to do and how not to approach something and how not to kill comedy. And that's something I'd always stick it, you know, stick in my quiver and make sure uh, I, I could bring out at any time. Um, it's, I love, I love doing the comedy and it's, it's something that I, uh, I hope I can keep doing for a lot, a lot longer. So let's talk about doing that, um, that final episode. Um, what if, let, let's say, for example, well, first of all, I understand that you shot it twice, one without a, uh, a studio audience and then one later. Um, why was that? The, why did you guys do that? It, it wasn't really twice. What we did because of, what I was afraid of being so emotional uh, and people not being able to necessarily get through scenes, we add an extra day of camera shooting. And what I did was I put the whole show in the can. I made sure we had everything. Um, there were a lot of scenes that we had to shoot on another stage that were going to be played back no matter what, like the Nobel ceremony. We couldn't have 300 extras and, and do it in a place with our coverage and certainly couldn't do that in front of an audience. But I wanted to make sure the whole show was in the can so we weren't in front of an audience and, you know, someone gets a little teary because it's the last scene they're doing with someone. They start crying. We got to redo makeup. It takes 15 minutes and we would lose our rhythm of, of the way the show was going. Mm -hmm. So having the whole show in the can also, I think, put the what I want to do is put the actors at ease, knowing it was we had an episode already that they could be freer in front of the audience. If, if they went up on a line, no big deal. We've got it. If, uh, if they were getting a little motion or, or the intent of the scene wasn't quite right, it's okay. We got it. And it a lot, I think it freed them up to really play in front of the audience. So we ended up using a lot of what we shot in front of the audience uh, is what you see up on the screen. Wow. Um, there are some, uh, although there are some moving moments, there are some great jokes in that episode as well. Is there any, were there any joke that kind of changed the way you had to direct it or had to reshoot or something because the laughs, you know, covered the, the subsequent dialogue? Yeah. Well, that's that's something that would happen in, in our pre-shoots. Um, you never know how it might play in front of the audience. So when you play it back, you get a bigger laugh than you expected on a spot, and you realize, oh, they didn't hear the next line. We know in editing we've got to open that up. So that's a lot of times we used to do when we did our car scenes all the time. We would pre-shoot those because we had all the green screen around the windows. But it, we would, instead of playing that back to the audience, we would have the actors actually just sit in a couple of chairs right in front of them, called a, we called it a black box. We put some sliders around them, and they would do the whole scene because then you had a different, you had all the fresh laughs, and the editor and I would sit there and listen and go, oh, we got to open that up. Oh, that's a bigger laugh. Oh, let's add a reaction there, all based on what the audience was giving us. Oh, gosh. Ma so in the, la in the last episode, that happened a little bit in the plane, episode, in the plane scene because we, we had a lot of, lot of working pieces there. And when people, when she finally tells Sheldon she's pregnant, yeah. you know, we had a bigger reaction from the audience than we thought. And it was like, okay, we got to open that up. Wow. And uh, like I say, the audience really, really dictates everything, everything you do and post that. I got to tell you, I howled when Sheldon was at the podium and he said, is that Buffy the Vampire Slayer? And because <laughs> you didn't expect that at all, and it was just so... <laughs> And I think, and I, I couldn't hear what she said after that. I think she said something. Well, she she gave a little wave. And yeah. She gave a wave back. Um, when you reveal her, she she has a little joke with uh, with Raj where she holds her hand up and says, "You know, this is not a date." Right. I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah, it's so unexpected. <laughs> oh, it was so great. Now, you guys, um, I don't who who all made the decision to. There was one little teaser bit at the very end that we didn't see that night at taping when they were just all on the couch eating dinner. Why did you leave that out? Yeah. That was um, th that was a decision amongst all of us with the writers that uh, to give a little something special 
to people who were there or had heard about the last episode because it was just a simple, it was a beautiful, you know, um, acoustic version of the credit song. And we did a, we did a couple little versions where we did moves with the, with the jib. And it was really just a fitting in, uh, a way to bookend the entire series. From the opening credits, that's what you would see. And that's the last image, them eating Chinese food around the table. And with the way the, the, the song is done so beautifully, and we just did this nice little slow move and pulled it out. And we thought, you know what, this is something special we're going to give to the viewers. And in front of the audience that night, it was live, but it's, it's sort of such a somber moment in a, in a little way, sad. We didn't want people going away going, oh, I'm going to miss this so much, um, which I think is going to happen anyway. Right. <laughs> here, here they could go out on a laugh. Oh. So did the actors need much direction with either their verbal or nonverbal skills that night? How were they? You know what? They came through much better than I thought. With about five or six weeks left, uh, Will Wheaton did his last episode. And he, before he left, gave this beautiful little speech thanking the cast, thanking the crew, saying how how important this show was to him, how much fun he always had every time he came. And I could see our whole cast, the lips starting to quiver, the tears starting to come down. And I was like, uh-oh, this is what I was afraid would happen the last night. Every little thing could set them off. But... To their credit, they really came through. They they enjoyed the last moment. And I had uh, Jim Burroughs told me after after doing Cheers, he was like, enjoy the enjoy the tears, which I thought was uh, a great way to approach it. And people really did. They knew it was going to be sad, but we're gonna we're gonna enjoy it. It's it's a happy time. Wow, wow. Um, all right, just one more question. Maybe from you watch the show from the sidelines. You know it's good, so. It, can you try to explain why this show hasn't gotten more Emmy love? What do you think the case is? I, that goes a little bit to what I said before, is it's still thought of as an old-fashioned show because it's multicam. You know, if you look at the last five, six years of shows that have been nominated for Emmys, it's all single-camera stuff. In single camera, you get to do a little more visually. Oftentimes, you have more of a budget. Um, you can make many movies as opposed to necessarily making a half-hour comedy every week. And I think that's the biggest strike against multicams. Even though it can be the hardest, hardest thing to do is to make people laugh that much, um, that's, I think, the biggest strike against it is people... Um, Think, ah, that's I love Lucy. Those are those are sixties. That's the old fashioned way to do it. We want something that's young and hip. And I think that's the way people approach it. And so, yeah, it's funny. I liked it. I laughed. But this show, this show is better. Mm. And, uh, not necessarily funner, funnier, <laughs> but better. <laughs> all right, Mark. That's all I want to talk to you about. Thank you so much, and best of luck on Emmy night. That's all we have for this week. Make sure to join us next week when we talk about limited series. And Kristen will have a conversation with Hugh Grant about his work in A Very English Scandal. If you like what you hear, make sure you give us a good rating. Not a bad rating, only a good rating. Uh, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye, everybody.